2 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to go through a kind of a change out. We're switching out the 2 Samuel with uh, Titus this morning. We're kind of swap, swapping back and forth between the services. You know, a lot of this is a mistake that I find with a lot of people, and in their life, in their homes, in their in their marriage, in their in their jobs, their career, whatever it may be, everything they do, they 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 I believe we miss a point. God wants us to grow. God wants us to expand. God wants us to increase our borders. God doesn't want us to stay in one place. When God gave the marching orders to the children of Israel, to Joshua, to to take the land. To conquer the land, he told them, "Whither so their foot go? Their, their, you know, their foot goeth. Everywhere you go, I'm giving you that land." And he gave them the parameters of where to go. But even with the parameters that was given to Joshua, they didn't take that full parameter. They didn't do what was given. Now God didn't give them the world. Think about that. God did not give them to conquer the world. God told them the parameters of where I'm giving you this land, and they didn't do it. They had this opportunity, they had the promise of God that, hey, these are the areas I want you to fulfill, that I want you to take and possess the land and conquer the land, and they didn't. They made leagues with the nations around them, and these leagues caused them, caused them trouble. And if you think of all that's happening within the Middle East, God gave the children of Israel, God gave the, the children of Israel a covenant. And God told them that if you take this, go into this land, I'll give you this land. And then they didn't take the land. Just like God promised us joy, peace, long-suffering, love. God gives us these things. If we just walk in his way, if we just walk in his will, right. God will give us all these things. But then they didn't do it. So in 2 Samuel chapter 8, we see that now David is the king. and He's expanding the kingdom. He's starting to grow. And I was reading this this past week, like, what in the world? How am I supposed to get a message out of war. I mean, last week I just talked about, and said last Sunday morning, I said that God doesn't always want us to fight, and then we find him fighting again, right? So this is how we know he was a Baptist. 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. And after this, um, it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them, and David took Methag um, Emma out of the hand of the Philistines, and he smote Moab and measured them with a line, casting them down to the ground. Even with two lines measured, he put to death, and with one full line to keep alive. So here he is. He's got them lined up. He, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. <laughs> he takes him by three loads and just takes out two lines and keeps one line. But he did it with measure. Again, he does things with measure. He doesn't completely wipe them out. He puts them in measure. As you see about David, and you see the passage going through here, David is expanding his kingdom. There is no wrong in expanding the kingdom that God gave him. But many times people understand expansion as being a forfeiture of the least productive assets and the acquisition of more productive assets. Those are big words I've never heard, never heard you say before, so I'll try it again, sir. Many, many times people um, understand expansion, right, as being the forfeiture of the least productive assets and the acquisition of more productive assets. Well, if I'm going to expand, I'm willing to cut ties here to get this what is better. That's not expansion. Okay, that's not expansion. Expansion is that the wise king maintained his kingdom while expanding his kingdom. So he maintained what he had, and he strengthened what he had 
as she grew. And this is something we do in our Christian life. We have to maintain with what we have. We have to keep what we already have learned. Keep your place here, and we're going to go over to Hebrews chapter number Hebrews chapter number 5. And we're going to kind of go back. I'm not going to read the entire passage of 2 Samuel 8. And I ask that you would do that at home this week and just kind of think about it as we go through these thoughts. But in 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel 8 is our text. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 5. We don't need to let things slip. The Bible says in verse number um, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, I'll get to Hebrews chapter 5 in a minute. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So he says we need to keep the things that we've learned, don't let them slip, don't let them fall away, don't let them go into the you know, egresses of our memory, make sure we hold on to those things, don't let go. And as we grow in life, you realize you get more. You should be getting more responsibility and not less responsibility. You should be getting more patience and not less patience. You should be getting more wisdom and not less wisdom. And that's why we find the Bible says, add to your faith, virtue, add to your faith, right? So adding to what we've already had, we, do, we need to expand and grow. And this is exactly the format that we find with the biblical model of expansion. When you think about it, when you think about a company, they take over a company. They need to have strength. They need to have. They need to not lose what you have, but maintain what you have, and then grow to more. Hebrews chapter five, it says in verse number eleven, of whom talk about God, um, Jesus being called of God as the high priest of the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. For when, for the time, you ought to be teachers. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as a meat of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to the, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. He's saying we don't, we, need, we don't need to keep on laying the same foundation over and over again. We should be able to hold on to the things we've been taught, hold on to these simple doctrines, and then grow. But we shouldn't have to go back and reapply these things all the time we should leave these things and move on to perfection. So a lot of, for instance, okay, I'll use this illustration. There's a lady um, at the flea market, you know, working, the, you know, my booth is at the flea market. I'm selling these with like really over, overly priced knives at the flea market. And I'm not, they're not really overly priced. I'm not selling worthy. But it's like um, these knives and stuff, I'm selling these things. And uh, the lady across from me expanded her booth, her, her, her space rental. And she doesn't have anybody to run that side of the, where I'm at, the side of the register. She doesn't have anybody to run the 9 to 100 foot space full of merchandise. And she leans on me and this other vendor to help oversee her, overse oversee her kingdom, her spaces. And she can't hire anybody to get in there and take care of it. So she like expects for me and this other guy to watch her merchandise, to stock her shelves, to ring her register out. And it's like, no, you've got to do that on your own. Hire somebody. 
but she expanded without having an ability to oversee her expansion. So she's putting out great amount of money, but she's losing value because she's not able to maintain what she's had. And that's the thing. Okay, I want to get a bigger house. Okay, great. But if you're not able to pay the bills, why get a bigger house? Well, I want to get a bigger building. Okay, great. But if you can't maintain the property of what you have, then why go to a bigger building? Hey, I want to get a new car. Great. But if you can't maintain the car payments you have now, what makes you think you can maintain the car payments down the road, right? And this is common basic sense. But in our own Christian lives, God, I want to do this. Great. But what are you doing towards it? Young men, you want to get wives, and I'm praying so hard that you guys get wives. Praying hard for you guys to get wives. I'm still praying for Ed in this way because he's about to get a wife, but he's like, you know what? There's still some things that you know that are not as sure as you want them to be, and I, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying you know there's not things in your life that are, that are there yet, and you're working towards that with all diligence, but I don't have to go back. You don't want to go and take a wife and then become a husband. You know, be the man that God wants you to be. You've got to add toward that direction. Hey, I want to have kids. Great. Well, don't start. Learn patience now. Believe me, having the kids comes along with it. That's something my dad taught me. I remember I was, I was talking to my dad last night on the way home from the flea market. I was like, Dad, I'm like, I remember you teaching me this stuff when I was growing up. And I was like, I couldn't believe how much I learned this. And he says, and I said, you know, as much as I learned it growing up, and I'm putting my early in my early life, I had no idea. I didn't realize how much I need it into practice today. And I failed to pay attention to everything I should have paid attention to when you first told it to me. And what happened was I expanded. I got too big for my britches. <laughs> a fat joke. Not really meant for a fat joke. But I, but I literally went too big, and I went beyond what I could do. I bit off more than I could chew. And now I've got to catch up in a lot of the different things that I want to be. Well, that's great. But you know, when, you, when a husband and wife have kids and it's out of natural order it's like okay but when you're adopting kids when you're going and fostering kids or adopting kids it's kind of a different thing you don't get that as you grow into it it's like it's placed on you and you don't get a chance to grow you know what i mean it's like boom here's a 300 here's a 300 you know 300 million expense in your lap well i can only i can't really handle it i don't have the resources okay well you took it on you know and you got to deal with it and it's like the high pressure of that is different than growing into it so God wants us to grow into what we're supposed to be, into what we're supposed to, supposed to do at the, begin, at the beginning. But when we think of expansion, it's what we already have, and then adding on to what we already have. We're knocking down walls, we're paving new concrete, we're expanding to what we have. David realized he had to maintain his kingdom, and he had, then he had to expand his kingdom. So here's three points. Number one, quantity is equal to quality. No, quality is equal to quantity. There you go. Quality is equal to quantity. If you don't have quality of what you currently have, you have no business seeking more. If you have no quality to what you currently possess, you have no business seeking more. Why acquire? Why have acquisition? Why merge? Why seek any more expansion if you can't maintain what you already have? Well, we found we found over in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God gave him rest of all his enemies. He had to a kingdom of peace. He had tribute. He had people under him in tribute. He was okay. He was being blessed by God. Things were good. Things were well. He had control of his kingdom. 
But later on we find out about David. He lost control of his kingdom by his family. Because he lost sight of what he currently had. Quality is more important than quantity. But you also find that quantity came to him. You find that his expansion was not one-sided. A lot of times we expand our lives in one direction. Okay? We expand ourselves in one direction. Okay, I want to be spiritual. Okay, great. So we spend all of our time in the Bible, reading our Bible and praying and seeking God's face and walking with him. Great. But if your social skills aren't growing as well, you're failing. If your health isn't growing and isn't being what it should be, you're failing. And this is something I'm learning in my life, that I have grown in so much one, two dimensions that I failed to be three dimensions. When Jesus grew in Luke chapter 2, it says that Jesus grew in what? Stature, wisdom, favor of God, and favor, favor of man. He grew in all areas of his life. He expanded himself in all areas of his life. And this is something that we look through, school, ah, whatever, the physical. No, the physical is necessary. And now you're too late. Now it's, and I'm not saying it's too late, but it is too late to fix a lot of the things that are so far gone. You know what I mean? Some things you're going to forfeit. Some things you're going to let go because you can't ever get what you wanted. So growing in that, growing in those things, David didn't just grow one dimensional and then and then leave it from there. He grew every direction. He grew to the east, to the west, to the north, to the south, and within himself. So you find the kingdom. You find he went to Gath. He went to the Philistines. To uh, chapter one, chapter eight, verse one, to Methag Amma which is a chief city, they, they equate to like Gath. He, but he went north, he went, sorry, he went west. He went west to the land of the Philistines, to the Philistines. He went west and he conquered and he expanded his kingdom to the west. Then he went to Aram, which is Syria, he went north. Okay, I was looking last night, where are these cities at? Where is all that at? And I got a little map and I'm looking at my charts and I'm like, look at my diagrams and not dispensational charts. I'm looking at different things going back and forth and I found north, there he is north. And then he went to the Ammonites. He went to the east, to the Ammon, to Ammonites. He went east. He expanded east. And then the Moabites, the other side of the Great Sea, he went into the Great Sea. He went east to Moab. And then he went east, southeast. He went further out, and it conquered there. And then you find he went southwest, you know, west, west, south, southwest to, Ammon, to, to the Malachites. And he conquered the land in all four dimensions. That's the good thing to understand that he didn't just develop himself in one dimension. If all we do is develop ourselves in one dimension, it's great that we're, de that we're developing ourselves. And we're maintaining and developing one dimension, but we need to develop ourselves in all dimensions. Just like David did in every, in every area. He just ex expanded every which way and covered everything. And that's what we need. But even with that, he put the Philistines under tribute and didn't wipe out the land of the Philistines. He didn't wipe them out. If you look at the maps of what he did, he still didn't wipe everybody out. He still didn't go and defeat everybody. He still had areas in his life that he did not conquer. There's still he absorbed. Like if you look at a map and see how his reign kind of fit in, he went around it to the Red Sea and kind of circumvented the, all of the land of Philistines, of Philistia, Philistia. He didn't just conquer everything, and he kind of tapered around it. There's a pocket there that he just kind of kept him in his life. He just kind of kept in this kingdom. It was kind of like, yeah, these are in my servitude, but you know what? They're still independent. They're in my servitude. They're under my tribute. Uh, they're basically a colony or a, a, um, 
a province of mine, but it's not necessarily my, my total control. I kind of have them under my thumb, but they're not part of my kingdom. Kind of like Puerto Rico to the United States. And I'm not trying to be mean when I say I'm just saying they're they're independent state. They have their own things, but they're not really they're a part of America, but they're not. Okay, so they're province. They're 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 province of it, but they're not necessarily they're commonwealth, but they're not necessarily of it. So you find that here says you have this all of this growth, and yet you let this one area in your life. Well, what about this? What about when God gives us command, go and you know be fruitful, multiply, grow, you know add to your faith. You know, be all you know, growing in the Lord, and then we surround ourselves with this one area in our life, this one stronghold in our life that we don't go and tear down. This one garrison, this one strong tower that we have in our life, and we circumvent all the way around it. This is one spot in the middle we don't touch. This one mole, this one blemish, and we don't get rid of it. That one blemish is going to be a constant problem in our life. And if you really look at the map and how it all fit, if you look at the map today, that kind of little spot around it is right against the West Bank. <laughs> it's right against where all the stupid problems are today in the Middle East towards that end. You know, it's like they're always trying to fight over that one spot. Well, if David had just conquered it to begin with, if Joshua would have just conquered it to begin with, if Saul had just conquered it to begin with, they didn't. Number two, nothing diminished. With all that he did, with all of his conquering, you find that he not only grew in quality with quantity, but he also grew it nothing diminished. He set up garrisons. The Bible says he set up garrisons. Look at verse 6. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David, and brought gifts, and the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. You see, he set up garrison. What is a garrison? It's fortification. Setting up troops, setting up reinforcements. He he set up that. Now, Hamath, in this passage, Hamath is north of Damascus. If you look at verse number, um, verse number nine. When Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had smitten all the host of um, Hadiazar, then Toy sent Joram, his son, unto David. To salute him and to bless him because he had fought against Hadiazar and smitten him. For Hadiazar had wars with Toy. And Joram brought with him vessels of silver and vessels of gold and vessels of brass. Which the, also King David did dedicate unto the Lord with the silver and gold that he had dedicated of all the nations which he subdued. So you find that even with Hamath, it was, he structured even beyond Damascus. Even beyond Damascus, Syria, he went a little bit further and helped him out. But there was garrisons and there was fortification and nothing diminished. It wasn't like, okay, we're going to go on through here, we're going to forfeit to the south. Or we're going to go on to the north, we're going to forfeit the east or the west. Everything was strengthened, it was fortified, and was structured with garrisons. He fortified that what he had. You know, there's things in our life, as you grow in the Lord, you say, okay, great, God has prospered me in this way. Awesome, but if you don't forfeit, if you don't keep your heart with all diligence, the devil's going to get in there. If you don't allow God, if you don't put set standards and convictions and walls around your cities, walls around your heart, and those convictions, those godly convictions, you'll falter, you'll fail, and we don't need to have that in our lives. We don't have any more. We don't need any more of that. We don't need to let go of anything that's already had. We don't need to let those things slip. 
and we need to take the more earnest heed lest at any time we slip. So we need to have those things fortified in our lives, in our thoughts, in our minds. So what is it in your life that you've accomplished? Great. Fortify it. Strengthen it. The things that you've conquered, the things that you've conquered, the things that God has given you to expand your kingdom, don't forfeit those things. Don't make allegiances with people that you're fighting against. Don't make, don't make, um, don't make, what's the word, compromises. Don't do it. I mean, Nehemiah says, look, I'm building a wall. I can't come down. I can't, I'm not coming down. I don't have time for it. Don't compromise. If I can count, when I look back at my life and how many things I've compromised, how many things I've, I've allowed to let go, I dip my sails just a little bit. For the sake of being patriotic for a second, you think about America, right? America has always been to where we don't dip ourselves to anything. When you look at America, look at the U.S. the U.S. with the, with the U.N. flags, all the nations of the world, all the flags of the nations around the world, are always second or always subdued to the, to the United States. The American flag is always on top. That's flag etiquette. Okay, you never have the, you never have any other country's flag equal to the American flag. Never do. That's that's flag etiquette, right? So, but we, but I remember when when a certain president was in office not too long ago that he went to another leader of the country and actually bowed himself to a to a leader of another country. No. But that's what we do is we expect God to kind of wink. We expect God to kind of bow to cower, to kind of cowtail, is that the word I'm looking for? To kind of just play into, to appease things in our, you know, other things in our life. God's not going to do it. God says, my glory will I not give to another. So we got to put God as that high cost that God is not going to compromise. And because we are ambassadors of God, we should not compromise either. On anything. Well, yeah, I know she's, you know, she's not really Christian, but maybe one day, no. Well, you know, this job isn't the greatest, but I'm, no. You know, well, I know I'm, I mean, Walter will tell you, he hates that he took this job that made him miss on Sundays. And, you know, the best we can do is not chide him over it, but just like, Walter, no, hey, man, as soon as you can, change hours. Get here on Sundays. And, like, lovingly, Support him, but let him know you can't make this mistake again. When I, I remember when I was when I was I, when I forfeited my Sundays, even for like okay, I'm going to cover overtime for there in a pinch. That one Sunday that I covered, it opened the door and I never got it back. You don't dip your sails. You say it's kind of it's kind of silly. You're not working on Sundays. Well, no, it's a pretty serious thing because once you do, it eats you up every time. It destroys you. So, well, you know what, y'all pick up, no, no, you don't pick up, well, you know what, that, that kind of music, you know, it's not necessarily evil, but don't listen to the music. Don't compromise. If it's not of God, don't do it. If it's not of faith, it's sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Don't, don't dip yourselves. Now, we can also go to the same conclusion as the thought of foolishness is sin. So, if you don't rotate your tires, it's a sin. I've heard a preacher actually say that, that if you don't rotate your tires, it's a sin. And I'm like, oh, just stop. You know, they don't be so ridiculous. But the principles there take care of your beast. You know, take care of your beast. But, you know, if you forget to rotate your tires or you kind of go 3,000 miles past the road change, it's okay. Life's going to go on. You know, that's not a thought of foolishness. But don't compromise on the things you're on those things. Well, you know what? I'm not going to tie this. We all catch it up next week. Then 
before you know it, you don't have tithes. You forgot about tithes. Hey, you know, I'm not going to read my Bible today. I'll catch up tomorrow. No, you won't. But let that habit go three or four days in a row, you won't get it back. It's hard enough to live in the Spirit every day and crucify the flesh, is it not? Right. Or is any similar? You guys, like, maybe you guys are more spiritual than I am. I hope so. Because I know me that if I don't die to the flesh every day, I wake up in the flesh every day. And i got to crucify the flesh, and i got to live to the Spirit. But why would I want to surrender the things that I have accomplished, the things that I have? Why would I want to surrender that? Why would I want to give in to covetousness just for a day? It's going to get into my life, and it creeps in. It's going to take me by charge. So nothing diminished. Don't let anything diminish. Lastly, there is authority ascribed. You need to have authority put in your life. Who is, who is your authority? What is your authority? Now, look at God is your authority. Good for that. Praise the Lord for that. But what authority do you have in your life? When I was growing up, I got, I got to where I was independent, got my own stuff going on. 19, 20 years old, living my own life, 21 in college. And I was like, you know, I had the authority of the college. I had to cower down to you a little bit. But I was like, you know what? My authority wasn't the college. It wasn't even my local pastor because the pastor didn't know me, didn't care about me. He didn't even know who my name was. And I was on staff. <laughs> they didn't know who I was or anything. And I'm like, I didn't want to be that kind of guy. And I was like, well, I want to have authority in my life. So I put people, and I made myself accountable to people with authority. That they became my authority. They became my counselors. Even to this day, I don't make a major decision without talking to these six counselors. Five now, one died. But these five counselors, and running everything I'm doing, every major decision by them, and they have veto power over my life. If I want to do this, and I say, oh, this is what I want to do, they say, that's a bad idea. I don't do it. Okay, I won't do it. And when I, and all five know that they are my authority. Like, I put them as my authority. Not that I don't trust myself, but I don't trust myself. I make mistakes. And I have five people in my life that I yield myself to and get their advice to. They're my counselors. And the multitude of counselors, their safety. So you've got to have authority set up in your life. You've got to have that authority ascribed. But you find in verse number 15, you find management. He puts management in there. But you see, he puts garrisons everywhere. He scatters garrisons everywhere. And the Lord preserved David. God protected him because he put up garrisons. But when we start, th start thinking about authority ascribed, look at verse 15. And David reigned over all Israel. And David executed judgment and justice unto all his people. He executed justice and judgment. He was the head of the authority. He was, he was the one. He was in charge. He was the king. Verse number 16, And Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the host, those are the armies, and Jehoshaphat, the son of um, Ahiliad, was the was recorder, he was the bookkeeper, he was the secretary, if it were, and Zadok, the son of uh, um, Ahitab, was, um, and Ahimelech, the son of Abathar, were priests, and Sariah was the scribe, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, uh -huh. Jehoiada was over both the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief rulers. So as he sets up, and he realizes those names I butchered, that's okay, that's the problem of them being Hebrew. Smith and Jones, his American way, all right? Well, all these Bible changers out there, we can change the Bible any we want. Why don't we just change those guys to Smith and Jones? I mean, seriously, anyway, I'm just kidding about that, but... The thought of foolishness. Anyway, but um, authority ascribed. He split up and he gave authority to different people because he realized 
David realized he couldn't set up and handle the kingdom all by himself. He set up authority along the way. He set up authority along the way. You know, our church is growing. Our church is developing into a church even more so. There needs to be leadership involved. There needs to be leadership ascribed. There needs to be leadership inside the church. There needs to be people who oversee the records. There needs to be people who oversee, you know, different areas of the, of the church. And, and we need to continue developing ourselves to be found faithful in those areas, you know, being found faithful to have those areas. But here you see Joab, you know, he was the head of the host. He was in charge of the armies. Who's going to be the scribe? Who's going to be the one that, you know, keeps records? Who's going to be the one that keeps the minutes? Who's going to be the one that oversees all the things that's going on? Who's going to be the one that, that is a priest? You know, there are priests. Who's going to be the one that helps oversee in ministry? Who's going to help with those different areas? But you remember, you know, realize his his kingdom wasn't 15, 20 people, 25 people, 30 people. His kingdom was vast domain at this point now. He's got a big, big area that's spread around with many people underneath him in tribute. Many people he subdued, and they needed that leadership. And Moses had that same thing. When Moses, the people grew, he set up judges so he didn't have to handle everything on himself. David had to rule with judgment and justice and with equity. He had to make sure he maintained those things. But he had to make sure he was free to do those, to do what he needed to do, and pass the pass the the responsibilities to other people. And that's just common sense. It's the biblical model of expansion. But if the pastor is the only one in charge and the pastor is the only one with authority, when the pastor dies, what's going to happen? When the pastor moves on, who's going to step in? There's got to be people who we trust. There's got to be people who we understand. Right. I'll use the word trustees. I'll use that word. It's, it's, it's a man-made word, but as we understand, it's someone who's been held with trust. Someone who can help oversee the upkeep. Someone who can help oversee the building. Someone who can help oversee the, the finances. Someone who can help oversee the you know the administration and taking care of the things that the pastor needs help with. So the pastor can take care of the things of judgment and, uh, judgment and justice and equity and getting themselves to the word. That's why deacons were made. That's why God gave deacons so he could serve. He didn't have to serve tables. He was able to give himself to prayer in the Word. And that's what happens with the church. As the church grows, these are things that has to be developed within a church. But if a pastor is the only authority, I've seen the structure of a church where the pastor is equal authority to everybody in the church. I've seen the damage that that does to people. And when the pastor tries getting a little bit more authority than what the church wants, they don't like, the, they don't like it and they get mad and try throwing the pastor out. I've seen that. Okay? I've also seen where the pastor is trying to work with this authority, and the people are saying, no, 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 and the pastor falls on his sword, hurts himself and his family financially or in his own person to make it work, to make it happen, and then it still doesn't get done, and it, and it causes a lot of friction and stress. I've seen that. Okay, I've seen the damage. I've seen it damage done where the pastor is the absolute sole authority, the dictators it were, no one can question his authority. Bless God, this is my church. If you don't like it, get the blank out. I've seen that authority. I've seen that structure. And I can tell you that's not a biblical model. That's not a biblical authority. Right. Yes, David was the king. Yes, he was in charge. But you know what? In chapter number, in chapter number, um, 2 Samuel, where, where, uh, where Absalom is after David, and David advocates throne, and he takes off in hiding, and... Absalom steps up and he becomes, he claims that he's the king and where was it at? Hebron, was it? Wherever it was. Can't think of it now. But um, 
Joab went out there, and, and when he when Absalom when Absalom died, David was covered his face and was lamenting. He was mourning, crying. His son died. Oh, Absalom, my son Absalom, Absalom, my son Absalom. He's just crying and and mourning, and all the and all the people just just got scared stiff. I use the word. They freaked out. They didn't know what to think. Is David going to wipe himself out for killing his son? He was against David. Now he's he's dead, and we should he should be happy that his enemy has ceased. And Joab, who is under David, went to David and chided David, and kind of held David and said, "Hey, look, you need you need to stop this. You're scaring the people. You're dividing the kingdom. Your enemy is put to death. Sober up. Snap out of it." And then David went back on the throne and started ruling and reigning in judgment. So here is David, the authority, being told by his under-authority, by the person under him, hey, straighten up, fly right, get yourself in order. And David did. Could you imagine happening in some of these places with a dictatorship? Could you imagine that being said to what, what the guys over in Iran or North Korea? Or South Korea? North Korea? Could you imagine them going over there and just kind of like, hey, snap out of it. Oh, you did that! Put him to death. That was whatever language it was. You know, I'm going to put you to death with that. How dare you question me? Don't you know who I am? I'm a supreme authority, bless God. Who do you think you are? And that authority overkills, but David took correction from his leadership. David took counsel from the people who he was over. What better way of trusting is leaning on the people that you're over? The people... When you're, if, you're a, if you're a boss, you're an employer, you're a supervisor, you're going to need to learn to take... You're a parent. <laughs> learn as a husband, whatever it may be. Learn to take counsel from the people that you're that you're responsible for. Get feedback. Listen to what they're saying. Pay attention because they may see things you don't. It isn't question your leadership or your capability as a leader getting advice from people around you. But when those people come to you and they're doing it the right spirit, they're trying their hardest to let you know, hey, you're wrong in this area. How many times have we seen it where those people have been blacklisted, reprobated, kicked out, thrown over the curve, written about in books, preached about in sermons, excommunicated, beheaded in all different countries, anything there is, divorces, whatever it may be, and just kicked out of the house. And all this, when, the, when, that, when that leader is so controlled by fear and intimidation, how dare anybody question you? That was not David's, that was not David's motive. And with biblical, the, with, with expansion, there's that biblical model that God gives us. Remember, expansion is not a forfeiture of the least productive assets in the acquisition of more productive assets. That's not what God does. God keeps what he has. God wants us to maintain what we've been given and grow. You don't have to go back to teaching of baptisms because we've already been baptized and got it down. We don't need to go back and rehash the foundations. We already have the foundations settled. Just grow on it. Further ourselves and expanding ourselves, even as David did this kingdom. All right, let's Sunday school this morning. Let's go ahead and ask God's blessing on our fellowship. And